Well, do have your Bibles open on Ephesians chapter 4. If you would like a Bible, do just wave um, your hand and we'll make sure you get a Bible. Let's just pray before we come before and try and listen to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will take your word now and open our minds to its truth. That you will take our hearts and open them to your faithfulness and your love. And that you take our lives and fill them with your Holy Spirit. That we may live for your glory and accept your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, after speaking on Micah chapter 6 to start the year and then ending back in Ephesians, my initial plan for today was to go a little bit deeper into chapter 4. Uh, but I read verse 1, <laughs> and I'm Rachel now, this poor Rachel, I said, oh, yeah, I think I'll do 1 and 2 today. And then as I carried on studying, I thought, no, I, I feel we're just staying verse 1 today. I felt led by the Lord to... I feel that we need to spend a week better preparing ourselves for the second half of Ephesians. You see, as I've shared previously, um, sadly, I think there are some where chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians is where this book in God's Word suddenly comes alive. And they say, this is what I've been waiting for. It's been great, Paul, to hear about our salvation in Jesus, but I need to know what to do. How to live out this life? Where's the instruction, Paul? So they jump on to chapters 4 to 6. I've even known some pastors who have started to teach Ephesians from chapter 4 to the end and just refer back to uh, chapters 1 to 3. Well, I don't think that's very helpful, (laughs) and I'm really glad we didn't do it. It is true that across the first three chapters in this book, you will struggle to find any direct instructions Uh, or commands from the Apostle Paul. I I think there is one. And to avoid all of you suddenly starting looking for this one command in chapters 1 to 3, I think it's in chapter 2, verse 11. Paul is very specific there. Therefore, remember. He repeats that command in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember how you used to live. But that's it. Across three chapters, 66 verses, one command. However, if you get a highlighter out, and if you highlight all the commands and instructions across chapters 4 to 6 for the Ephesian Christians, and in God's providence for those of us here today who are Christians, well, you could run out of ink. (laughs) I think there are a lot of commands. I I count at least 40 commands. There are some right at the start of chapter 4. You may have observed them, uh, heard them as we read chapter 4. And then really from verse 22 of chapter 4, to the rest of the book, they come thick and fast. Lots of instruction. Yet, as with all Scripture, the order and the structure of Ephesians is really important. It's not a mistake that Paul has spent time explaining the grace and mercy of God in the Christian salvation before going on to talk about how to live lives worthy of our calling. It's not a mistake. He does exactly the same, Paul, in Romans. Chapters 1 to 11 are mainly uh, uh, doctrine, uh, key truths about God, about sin, about our hope in Jesus. 
And then chapter 12, you're, some of you will know these verses well, chapter 12, it just changes. And Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, all that I've been explaining to you in the first 11 chapters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And from there on, instructions for how to live as a Christian. It's the same in Colossians, chapter 1 and 2. Wonderful teaching about who Jesus is. The Christian salvation. Then chapters 3 and 4, instruction for how to live as a Christian. Paul starts chapter 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things that are above. Nigel's been going through Colossians with us. The order in the Bible is always important. The blessing of our salvation is the great motivation behind the Christian wanting to respond in choosing to live lives worthy. Live lives that adhere to the instruction we're about to be given in chapters 4 to 6. These instructions are for Christians to live lives worthy of their calling, and, and they are for Christians. You see, you can jump to chapters 4 to 6, and you can study them as an unbeliever. And I think they will likely do you some good. <laughs> After all, the Bible is God's Word. There is God's truth. They, they will do you some good. But you will not have the motivation of knowing Jesus as your Savior and all that God has done for you to be motivated to want to live out how we're meant to live. And you will not have, most importantly, Jesus' help through the Holy Spirit enabling you to live the life that is worthy of the calling you've received unless you're a Christian. See, Paul is clear, isn't he? In verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, you being the Christians in Ephesus who Paul was writing to in the first century, you being those of us here at Grace today or listening that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are instructions for those who are in Christ. Remember, Paul has been so clear in his teaching in Ephesians, you're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. You're either trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ or ultimately you're trusting in yourself and in the world around you. There's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. Paul's really clear about that. Chapters 4 to 6 are not a list of instructions for everyone to just take away and to try and decorate their lives with on the outside, like the way perhaps many of us decorated a Christmas tree last month. Sadly, I think that's why some people read the Bible. Others come to church. Oh, well, yeah, the Bible's got some good teaching on patience. I need a bit of teaching on patience. That's got some good teaching about love. Oh, you know, the Bible helps me sometimes with anger management. Many today still today, uh, like lots of the ethics and the morals that Jesus taught. And they try and decorate their lives with them. But I'm afraid that won't last. It won't work. You see, trying to follow these instructions if you're not a Christian is like trying to put decorations not just on a dying Christmas tree, but on a completely dead Christmas tree with absolutely no needles you know, if you hang a bulbul on that, it will just roll off because there's no needles to hold it. Or the branch, after a while, it will just snap off. If you want these instructions to change your life, well, Paul is clear. 
you need to be trusting in Jesus before coming to chapters 4 to 6. The order in the Bible is always important. We see the, uh, the order being so important. I think in particular, we look at the life of the Lord Jesus, and one account stands out to me. Mark chapter 2. It's in other Gospels as well, but Mark chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, it's on page 1003. Let me just read the, the start of Mark chapter 2. Reading from verse 1. This is an account of the Lord Jesus. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, uh, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large num numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to, Je uh, to Jesus, because of the crowd, <laughs> imagine this, they, they made an opening <laughs> in the roof above Jesus, uh, digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Hey, what? Can you imagine being one of those friends? You've carried your, one of your best mates who can't walk, and, and the place is crowded, so you come up with a plan B, you go onto the roof and you start digging through, I think there must have been tantons, because hoes can't dig through roofs, and, and you dig through roofs, and, and you drop, a, you, you drop your, your man gently down in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Everyone's staring at you, you're quite embarrassed, but you've done what you think is best, and Jesus just says, son, your sins are forgiven. They must have been thinking, what? <laughs> that, that's not the priority here, Jesus. I mean, by all means, talk about sin and forgiveness later on. You can do that. But, but, but our friend needs to walk. That's the priority here. Move on to the physical healing, please. Well, aren't we all the same still today as human beings? You see, we see so many pressing needs around us. In the, in the world, we see needs. God, why, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And then in our own lives, God, why won't you just give me this job? That would make my life so much easier. But why won't you just heal that friendship, that family relationship? That, that's my biggest need. Malcolm, move on in Ephesians. Start talking about sexual immorality, marriage. Speaking the truth, humility, we need this teaching. But you see, God knows our greatest need. He knows your greatest need this morning. And if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, well then your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven, to place your trust in Jesus. That's why Jesus addressed it first with the man in Mark chapter 2 before going on to prove that actually, yes, he had the authority to forgive sins because his next command to that man was to get up and walk. Pick up your mat and walk, and he walked out of there because Jesus has that authority. He is the Son of God. He can forgive what no one can see on the inside, the dirt in our hearts before God. Life lived in actually general rejection of our Creator, just going our own way. We need to understand that without Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead in our transgressions and in our sins. Chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, 
We might ask ourselves, well, how dead? Well, think of Lazarus, John chapter 11. What an account in the Bible. How dead was Lazarus? Well, he'd been dead in the tomb for four days. Do you remember? I think it's Martha, isn't it, who who says to Jesus, watch out, if you take the the stone away from the tomb, there's going to be a stink. His body is decaying. He's dead. And yet, when Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come out, you read one of the most uh, amazing verses, I think, in the New Testament, verse 44, an indication of Jesus' power over death. We read, the dead man walked out. Lazarus heard God speaking, and he responded. Well, we too are spiritually dead. We, we live lives our own way. And one day, the Bible is clear, we will all have to pay an account for that. God will hold us to account. We will have to pay a price. We will face God's judgment unless we hear Jesus' call and respond. And, and you know, we don't need to wait. We don't need to wait. I worry that some of us as Christians expect us to wait to see our friends or family come to put their trust in the Lord Jesus, to see a visitor come into church. I've got to wait a few weeks before they might come to faith. We do a a very good course here at um, Grace Fellowship, Christianity Explored. It it, uh, takes you through Mark's gospel, introduces you to Jesus. If you haven't done it, I'd recommend it. It's a good course for Christians and unbelievers. However, you don't need to do Christianity Explored to believe in the Lord Jesus. And doing Christianity Explored doesn't make anyone a Christian. The way you become a Christian is just simply by asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins. To say, actually, I know deep down what I see in my own heart isn't very good. I know God. I've not really given you much time at all in my life. I'm trying to go my way. Oh, forgive my sins, Lord Jesus. Forgive me. And Lord, I know it's not going to be easy, but I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I I want to live for you now. Don't wait. Some, Some hold off trusting in Jesus until they feel I've sorted out various issues in my life. Or until God has answered every single one of my questions. Or actually, yeah, when I'm a bit older... When I'm in my 50s, and then suddenly they get to their 50s. When I'm in my 60s, 70s, there's there's always time. I'll come to Jesus at some point. Don't wait. Don't wait. And people feel that, you know, at that time, that there'll come a point when I will choose Jesus. Uh, When when I decide to to follow Jesus. When When I decide to become a Christian. Now, what's interesting, you see, the Bible tells us that doesn't actually happen. (laughs) Doesn't actually happen. We don't actually choose Jesus. We, we don't actually sign up to be a Christian. What we realize in the Bible is that actually God has enlisted us. We saw that, didn't we, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, for he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, let me, let me just say, as a Christian, uh, we put our hands up. And we said, we didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. I thought it was Malcolm choosing to place my trust in Jesus. I thought, yeah, I finally understand the gospel. I finally believe it for myself. That's the situation for most of us, that we decided to follow Jesus. But over time, actually we see that that God had brought people into our lives who shared Jesus with us. Actually, he had a plan for us. That's why I made 
uh, friends with that individual because actually he was going to tell me or she was going to tell me something about Jesus. Maybe that's why you're at church this morning because God's brought you into contact maybe for a number of years, maybe just for a few days with a Christian because he loves you. He wants you to hear the truth. Maybe you, you think you've, you chose your wife or your husband, but actually God had a plan. And you realize as a Christian, you look back, actually, yeah, it was God who chose me to marry that particular man or that, that lady because they were a Christian. They became a Christian, and he wanted me to hear the truth. Maybe we, we started to work and we became friends, and that person just happened to be a Christian. Maybe for some unknown reason. It's not very fashionable at all in Britain today, but we were invited to church and we went. Why did we do that? Because God was working. God was working. And Jesus called us, either as we read the Bible, as we listened at church, or even as we just laid on our beds at night wondering, what's life all about? And why is it that I... I do see in my own heart things that don't make me happy. And we become perhaps aware, just, just in our room at night, actually, I, yeah, I am a sinful person. One day, I'm going to be called to account for this. And we hear Jesus calling to us, just the way that Jesus called to Lazarus and said, come out the tomb. Come here, Lazarus. We hear Jesus calling us. And we responded. We were dead we were living without God, just like everyone else. And one day, we'll be awaiting his wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. But in God's love and mercy, he called us. And we saw Jesus Christ for who he really is. And now we know a joy of a heart that's been washed clean before God. And we have a certain hope of a glorious inheritance way beyond this short life here. You see, these instructions across chapters 4 to 6, they are for Christians. And as they are taught, and as they are understood, they emerge from the inside of a Christian. They are not like decorations placed on the outside. They're like fruit that grows. They decorate the branches of a tree, and the tree is alive. Because Jesus is dwelling in the Christian through the Holy Spirit. These, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. <laughs> That's the secret. If you want to be completely humble, striving to be completely humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another, to know more of love, it is to be in Jesus. Because Jesus is clear, isn't he? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And as we ended our time two weeks ago, a Christian doesn't look to their own strength, their own ability to master justice. In my own strength, I'm going to be more fair. No, a Christian looks to God's help. God's help to get rid of our pride. God's help with self-control to be able to bear with each other better than we did last year. We look to God's help because we have a God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, within us. If you're not a Christian, 
Will you hear Jesus calling you today? Will you? The Bible is so clear. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Pause. <laughs> don't, don't wait. Say a little prayer now. Ask Jesus to forgive you. And if you want to know more about Jesus, again, ask today. <laughs> Come and try and talk to me or talk to a Christian after the service. Again, don't wait. To live a worthy life, you need to be in Christ. You need to have his spirit, his power at work in you. These instructions are ultimately for Christians. Well, secondly, these instructions help Christians to live worthy of their calling. Brothers and sisters, those of us who profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are you living for in 2024? Who are you living for in 2024? Who dominates your focus each morning that you wake up? Who is it that you prioritize? Because we are human beings and all of us, I'm sure we prioritize, don't we? I bet you're like me. I mean, ultimately, you know, you get messages through on your phone and you've got friends that you respond to straight away and then friends actually, well, they can wait a little bit. Emails. I know I wasn't alone. I did 20 years working in the travel sector. If I got an email from my CEO, I responded to that quick. Others, well, they could wait a little bit longer. Who do we prioritize? Do we prioritize Jesus who gave his life to forgive and to redeem us? Do we prioritize Jesus who reconciled us to God the Father? Who is it that we worship? Who is it that we really worship? Do we worship God the Father who we read has, has always loved us since before the start of time, who adopted us into his family, who's given us incomparable riches in his grace and a glorious inheritance? Do we worship God the Father? The Apostle Paul may have been a prisoner of Rome, chained and under house arrest. But as we saw in chapter 3, it's the same in chapter 4, it's very clear, that is not how he saw himself, is it? He saw himself as a prisoner for the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the one who had set him free from the rat race of life. Jesus reigned, not Caesar, as far as Paul was concerned. And in light of the hope in his heart, given to him by Jesus, in light of his wealth as a Christian, every day he set out to live a life worthy of his calling. And here's what Paul found, that such a life was of so much blessing to him. Therefore, he urges, doesn't he? Verse 1, I urge you, that that word urge could be translated plead or begged. <laughs> I beg you, Ephesians, to also live a life for Jesus, a life that was worthy of their calling, worthy of their priceless salvation. What does that life look like? <laughs> well, I don't know if or not you noticed, but there was a summary a statement of a, a life that is, is worthy. It's in chapter 1, uh, verse 4. For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be 
holy and blameless in God's sight. What a, what a calling. I don't know whether or not I was ever asked in my working career. I was asked about, Malcolm, what's your aims here in this company? Have you ever been asked, what's your aim in life? Well, try answering as a Christian. Do you know, my aim in life is to be perfect. And not only perfect, not in your sight, in God's sight. That's my aim in life. I think people say, what arrogance. Let me tell you something about you, Malcolm. You've done this, that, this. You're not perfect. What a calling. It sounds impossible, doesn't it? Holy and blameless in God's sight. To be like God. Well, it is impossible without Jesus. But the wonder of what the Bible tells us is that it is very possible with Jesus. Here's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him, Jesus, who had absolutely no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That could say, so that in him we become holy and blameless in God's sight. By the way, if you're not a believer, to be holy and blameless in God's sight, that is the requirement if you want to avoid hell and get into heaven one day. You've got to be holy and blameless. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, there is only one way to get there, and that is through Jesus, because Jesus was holy and blameless. He was perfect, and the wonder of what takes place at the cross is this great exchange. The holy and blameless one said, forgive those lot that put their trust in me. Lord, I know all their sin. Place that on me. I'll die in their place. I'll take their wrath that is owed to them on my shoulders as I hung and die on the cross. And you know what, God? Give them. This was part of our plan. Give them my righteousness. Give them my holiness. That is the only way to get to heaven. So if you're... If you, like me, are a Christian here this morning, our hearts have been washed clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. And our souls are ready to be with him. In fact, don't they long to be with Jesus now? But right now, for a period of time, our souls are held in these these mortal, dying bodies where we still battle daily, don't we, with temptation and sin? Be it pride, greed, envy, anger, lust, slander, gossip. And we continue to live, you see, in a dying and sinful world around us that still likely has a greater influence on us than it should do. So most of us come here actually week by week as Christians, I certainly do, (laughs) feeling a long way from being the people that God has called us to be, from being holy and blameless in his sight. (laughs) None of us, I think, if we're true Christians here this morning, <laughs> we, we put our hands up. We are, n- we are n- nothing without Jesus. We live sinful lives still. And the thing is, as Christians, see, we're not alone. There have been millions of Christians who have gone before us who have faced the same battle, including Paul himself. Do you remember those wonderful words of the Apostle Paul? Here's the Apostle. He, he was involved in a daily battle For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Yet, you see, Paul found the answer. Paul knew where to turn to help. His answer is actually in the conclusion of that same passage. Here it is. What a wretched man I am. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? <laughs> Thanks be to God <laughs> who has delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord, not just eternally for his salvation, but also now to help him in this daily battle with sin and temptation. Paul struggled. He knew the Ephesian Christians would struggle to walk humbly with God. God knew that we wouldn't find it easy with how easily distracted we are to walk humbly with him. And so he gave us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And he gave us his word, the Bible, with lots of helpful instructions of how to live a life that is worthy of our calling, of our amazing salvation, to walk humbly with him. And wherever we are in our daily battle with sin, however honest we are with each other or with God about our battles with sin and temptation, if we are trusting in Jesus, there's that wonderful promise, isn't there? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he does promise to complete his work in us. To complete his work in us. One day, eternally, we will be completely holy and blameless in new resurrected bodies with our Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, he is working his purposes through us. He is changing us. Lastly for today, these instructions start with God's church. For three chapters, Paul has been revealing to the Ephesians and to us, his readers, really the eternal purposes of God in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's become clear that just as God uh, created the world and humanity in Genesis, well, so God is creating again. And it's not just new life in individuals, but for those individual Christians to form part of a new humanity. The church... I think this is best explained really in chapter 2. Now let me just read again a bit if you've got your Bibles. Turn to these verses. Chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2, reading from verse 14. For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Remember when we were looking at this, Paul's talking about the great Jew and non-Jew divide of the first century. People who hated each other are suddenly together in the church. Jesus has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law, that's God's perfect law that only Jesus kept, with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Jump on to verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, that is Jesus, the whole building, i.e. the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Well, therefore, when we come to chapter 4, it should be of no surprise that these instructions for Christians across chapters 4 to 6 that are given to help us to live a life worthy of our calling, they start 
with the church, God's church, and this new humanity that God has called us to and created, it has two main characteristics. This is the first one. We are one people. We're not Jew or Gentile. We're not British, French, Austrian, Romanian, Nigerian, South African, Trinidadian. We are one people. We are Christians. We are members of one family, God's family. And two, as we've already started to think today, we we are called to be holy. To be distinct from the world around us because we belong to God. Theologian John Stott, he says this, Because God's people are called to be one people, they must manifest their unity. And because they are called to be a holy people, they must manifest their purity. Unity and purity are two fundamental features of a life worthy of the church's divine calling. And this is exactly where Paul starts with his instruction. Unity in the church. I think that is the underlying uh, current that that goes through from verse 2 all the way down to verse 16. And then from verse 17 all the way, I think, to chapter 5, verse 20, we have instruction about Christian purity. How we as a church are to be pure as we walk humbly with God. So, here's the plan for our next four talks in Ephesians as we consider the topic of Christian unity. Christian unity depends on our conduct. Christian unity comes wonderfully from our God. Christian unity is enriched by the diversity of Christ's gifts to us. And lastly, Christian unity demands spiritual growth. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your truth in the Bible. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, for saving many of us listening today. Thank you for choosing us to be part of your church. And thank you for giving us instructions as to how we should live worthy of our calling. Please forgive us that so often we do not appreciate the privilege of our calling to live for and to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. And please forgive us for the times we don't do what we should do. And what we shouldn't do, we so often do. Forgive us for the times even this past week when we've given in to temptation and we've not walked humbly with you. And Lord, you have promised to complete your work in us. Therefore, we do pray for ourselves as your church that you would, in the weeks ahead, teach us more about unity. That we would be more like the church you have called us to be. And we plead with you, Lord Jesus, that through the Holy Spirit, even today, just as you forgave the sins of that paralyzed man 2,000 years ago, that someone listening would know the joy of sins forgiven and the blessing of a sure and certain hope of life with Jesus now and forever. And that these instructions across chapters 4 to 6 would over time take root in their hearts and indeed in our hearts and bear fruit for your glory.
Oh, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.